In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Of all the sermons throughout the year, I find um, preparing for Pascha the hardest. Because um, <clears throat> it's always hardest to speak about. It's always hardest to speak about the people you love the most. Right? If somebody asks you why you love someone, it's very hard to give an, a straight answer. Right? It's, you, you can tell things they've done, things you like about them. But trying to explain to somebody why someone is so valuable to you is always a very difficult thing. And during this week, we are going through the greatest love story of all time, right? And there's no words that could possibly capture the depth of the love that God has for us, right? There's, there's, there's no way. So all we can do, I, I write and write and, and take notes, and I never know what to say at the end of it, because who he is isn't going to be captured by a few sentences that we say for him. Before we get into a meditation, just so that you're understanding as we read the readings um, throughout the week, for those of you who, who might not know your Old Testament too well, right? We're going to be going through the story of the relationship between God and man. Tomorrow morning we're going to read about the creation and we're going to read about the fall. But the readings from today start off stepping out saying how things have started off wrong. Right? And then we're going to jump into it and say, well, what was it supposed to be in order to understand what went wrong and then to understand how it gets fixed. Right? But you're going to hear during the prophecies a lot of times where God is saying, hear, O Judah, hear, O Jerusalem, or you'll hear him say things like, hear, O Israel. Right? And we're going to go through the, 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 the story of how Abraham was called and, and how the kingdom was formed. But that at least know at the back of your head, even if you can't get into the details, that what's being referred to here is that when the nation of Israel, when the people had formed together and God saved them and took them out of the land of Egypt and saved them, they asked to be a kingdom. Right? They asked to be a kingdom. And the Lord, as we talked about last night, for those who were here last night, the Lord said, fine. Right? Samuel was upset about it, but the Lord said, fine. Right? And he goes, but all I ask from you is that this agreement that we've made, this marriage that we've made, this covenant that we've signed, right? A marriage is, a, is, an, is an agreement between two people, right? Is that I'm just asking that you remain faithful and I'll remain faithful. So you want to live in this kind of house with this kind of car, with this kind of kingdom, you want to look like everybody else, I'll accept it, but please keep the relationship, right? And we'll see that the first king didn't do too hot, right, King Saul? Um, very quickly forgot the agreement. And then came the righteous King David, right? That there was none like before or after. And then his son didn't do so well either, King Solomon, right? Where he started off great and then he abandoned it. And so we see by David's grandchildren, it's done, right? There's a civil war. Right? And the kingdom is divided into two. And so when you hear Israel referring to the northern kingdom after the civil war, 
And when you hear Jerusalem or Judah, we're talking about the southern kingdom after the civil war. And God didn't stop pursuing either of them. Right? But sometimes the prophecies are going to the north and some are going to the south. So when you're hearing those words, understand it in that context of this war that's going on. These people who have left their agreement, but God is still actively pursuing all of them. And in this narrative, in this story that I'm not going to go into to all right now because we're going to read it throughout the week, right? Is that at one point they've given up their part of the covenant so badly to the point where God says, I've done everything with you. I've begged you. I've pleaded with you. I've chased you. I've yelled. I've cried. I've smiled. I've hugged. You just don't want me. Right? And if you don't want me, no problem. I surrender you to your will. Right? I give you up to your own will. And so the people went into exile. They went into captivity. Their kingdom was taken over. This thing that they wanted so badly was taken over and they were led away captive. First the north and then the south. Okay? They all eventually went bound in chains. And they get delivered from this captivity. But when they get delivered from captivity, they're not really sure what to do. Right? So the first thing they do is say, let's rebuild the temple. Right? As a symbol of the kingdom. And they say, you know what? And let's be one kingdom. Let's not be a divided kingdom. Right? And so they, they agree that it should be just one kingdom, not the north and the south anymore. But something's changed. God's not talking, right? God's not talking. And they are confused and they don't know why it is. And as we spoke about earlier today, for 400 years, they've heard no prophet until the coming of John the Baptist, where they're like, wait a minute, something's moving. And now they have these explanations or these expectations, sorry, of what's going on that maybe finally we'll have a kingdom again. And that's the backdrop to what I want to meditate on with you all today. Because we read three times in the readings today, Christ asking the disciples, who do the people say I am? And then saying, and who do you think I am? So the crowds had no idea that this was their God. Right? The crowds that we saw in the readings throughout this night, throughout this morning, they have no idea. They thought, as we talked about, in the liturgy this morning, they thought he was a political king, right? They thought, here's the man who's going to establish the new nation, right? And we're going to be good. And what they were doing is they were reading scripture in a particular way and wanting to fit Jesus, our Lord Jesus, into that way of thinking, right? They were not so interested in who he actually is. They wanted him to be who they wanted him to be. Right? We want somebody who establishes the kingdom. Therefore, we've decided Messiah must establish the kingdom. Therefore, if, if this Jesus figure, the Lord Jesus, that they don't realize is Lord, is the real deal, he should establish the kingdom. And they were also very superficial in their knowing of him. They thought he was like a cool change from the norm. Right? This isn't normal. Miracles aren't normal. Right? So they like the miracles. They like the show. Right? There's a man with no eyes suddenly has eyes. Lazarus is raised from the dead, as we, as we read from yesterday. Right? They ate good food out of five loaves and two fish. Right? They're liking what they're getting out of him. And, and I'm sure there's probably some of them that liked 
the conflict with the leaders. I think, oh, this is cool, right? They're fighting. People like drama, right? People like stories, right? So they're, they're liking him in this, this bizarre way. And the end result of somebody whose relationship, and this whole week we're going to be talking about relationship, somebody's in a relationship where they don't really know the person from their relationship, is that they are fickle. They're not solid. They're not steady. Right? There's no foundation. And that's why these are the people who, as we said earlier, cried Hosanna this morning and crucify him on Friday. Right? This is how the crowd saw him. Because they didn't know who he was. Right? They didn't know who he was. The Pharisees, they didn't know what to make of him. Right? For all intents and purposes, he was a scoundrel. He was a crook. He was a liar. Right? Why? He doesn't fit into their mold, how they read the law. Right? They read the law in a particular way, and they've decided anybody who doesn't walk in this way could not possibly be from God. What's ironic about it is that the Lord knew the law so well. Some Jews and some scholars today actually refer to Christ as though he is a Pharisee, as an expert of the law, right? And in a sense, he was. The word Pharisee means to divide. The Lord knew how to rightly divide the word of truth, but they didn't understand. They didn't understand that. Their lens, their eyeglasses through which they saw was that following the law in their way is how you please God. And so if this figure, this, this, this Jesus figure, is not following the law in their way, then he must not be pleasing God. And to add insult to injury, he's claiming to be God. Right? So this is to them blasphemy. And at the same time, they want to call him a madman or demonic because they're stuck, because they saw the miracles. So calling him a madman doesn't work so well, right? And so what did they resort to doing was calling him demonic, right? What else can we say to explain the fact that he really did do miracles that are witnessed by everybody, right? The Jews and the Gentiles have written about our Lord. Some people think that the only things we have written about Christ are, are in our Bible. But even the Jews and Gentiles wrote about the miracles that, that our Lord did. But the Lord to them is a threat. He reduces their honor, right? In, in Mediterranean culture, this is deeply embedded into the culture, karamti, my dignity, my honor, right? If I speak to you and you answer back, you take away from my honor, right? And so if لو حد رد عليك, يبهو أليلك, right? As when you have to رد. Right? To put him back in his place so that you can be a step higher. This is a very real phenomenon and this is happening the whole time with the priests and the Pharisees um, with the Lord. He's a social threat. He has sway over the people. He reduces them in front of the people. And it's his way of answering. And the problem that drives them nuts is that he's not saying something wrong. Right? And that's why they keep trying to trap him. Right? You'll read throughout the week. And they said this trying to trap him. Right? They'll ask him a trick question, hoping that he's going to mess up, but he never messes up. Right? And so, them, them and Ness, them in front of the people, they start off here and they're just going lower and lower and lower and lower. And that's why you see them behave as maniacs on the day of crucifixion. 
they're drunk with happiness that they're getting revenge, right? The guy who put us down to here, now he is. He's being crucified. He's being humiliated, right? So to them it says, oh, that puts us all the way up here again, right? This is how they're, they're viewing him. And the combo of these two kinds of people is that they're seeing God as this transactional entity, right? This guy that we just, we have deals with, right? And the situation that they're in is dark. The temple has become a dark place, right? This is the readings that we're reading about today of Christ going into the temple and casting out the money exchangers. The place of God, the church, right? The assembly, the word church means the assembly, right? So the church, the temple is the church of the Old Testament. Instead of finding God, you find a market. The temple had become a place of cultural identity, Jewish heritage, right? It's not a place of finding God, it's a place of finding our club, right? God had become part of a heritage instead of the reality around whom whatever heritage assembles. I think many churches today have become that. Right, where we become cultural centers more than we are a center to assemble around God. The priests and the leaders were concerned so much with social opinions, financial backing, and they were in a similar state to where they were before they fell in the captivity. And the teachings of their religion had lost their strength because it had just turned into talk, right? It just became talk. Right, or being like, yeah, 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 you guys tell us these things, but look at you. Right, it's, 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 it's the way of humans. Even Herod, King Herod, who the Lord will stand in trial in front of on Thursday night, on Ismail Yehudi, right, his name is a Jew, but he was known for his debauchery, and no one cared, right, these positions of, 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 of power. The temple had become, and we'll talk about that more on Thursday night, the temple had become a puppet of the state. Right? For all intents and purposes, the temple was employed by Rome. Right? It was a very, very dark spot. But there were still some, some pious people, but the pious people still, still didn't even know who he was. Right? These are the ones when Christ said, who the people say, that some, some had the sense to say, Elijah, one of the prophets. Some people were saying, right? there's something different about him right? that I can identify. They thought of him in a religious way and in a positive way, but even they didn't realize who he was. Even they did not realize he was God. They just thought he's a good guy, right? He's just, he's just good. And some of the people thought he was the Messiah, but the Messiah who would reign politically. But everyone would have their day of the Lord. Every one of them would have their day of reckoning. They're coming face to face with the Creator. He would turn on the light as we read in the prophecy today and says, I will search Jerusalem with a candle. I will enter into the chamber of your heart and I will look in it and I will, I will ask, what will I find there? Who's in there? What's in there? Right? It's inevitable. It's inevitable that we get, we get exposed. And here he finally asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? You told me what the others think. I know what the Jews think, I know what the Pharisees think, I know what the leaders think, I know what the pious think. Now I'm asking you, you guys who are so-called disciples of me, the ones who follow me, who do you think I am? Am I just a nice guy? Am I crazy? 
right? What do you really, really think? And here we see that even they don't get it. Peter speaks very well at first, you are Christ, the Son of God, right? And the Lord praises him and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to Peter. And Peter, within two minutes, is so excited that he said something right, that he took boldness, and it says that he took Christ aside, right? If he knew this was God, I don't think he'd have done that, right? If he understood the words that he was saying, he takes him, it says he literally pulls him aside, where even if you pay attention to the wording, is interesting, because after he says what he says, it says Christ turned around and looked at the disciples behind him, right? So he, they're showing us this geography of their positioning, right? That Peter is taking him ahead, and he says, you shouldn't say that, when he says, I'm going to suffer, Right? To say you shouldn't say is saying there's an accusation of saying, Lord, you've either said something wrong or you said something you shouldn't say. God, and now he's accusing the Lord of making a mistake. What does the word accuser translate to in Hebrew? Satan. Satan means accuser. That's why the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. You are thinking in an earthly way. You don't get me. Right? You don't know who I am yet. Go back with the rest of the disciples. Go stand with them. These ones that you put yourself in front of, go back with them. Even the disciples didn't get him, right? They didn't understand. But who do you say he is? If you believe he is God, then if he turns on the light in your heart, what will he find? Is the way that we speak or behave indicative that we believe who he is? I've met some people who are afraid, so afraid to say they believe in God that I respect because they're afraid, because they're aware that if they admit it out loud, that their lives must change if they believe it, that there's a consequence of him being who he is. What about us? We claim that we believe in him. Has our way of living changed as a result of who we believe he is? The Lord speaks in one of the readings that we read today about people who say, nothing's going to happen anyway, right? Don't worry about it. Just chill. It's not a big deal. It's not that serious, right? And the Lord is like, no, it is. It's not true. What am I selling in the marketplace? Am I selling that idea, right? In the market that's in the temple. Is that what I'm selling, that idea? That's no big deal? If I know the truth about someone or something, how can I act like it's not true? If I know when I speak about someone behind their back that they will find out, if I know that, will I still speak behind their back? Knowledge should make a difference. If I know that someone has the power to throw me in prison, will I talk out loud about how I'm a, how I'm a thief? If I know that someone thinks the world of me, will I cuss them out or sell them out? Trying to make the point that if you know something with certainty, it's going to change the way you act. It has to. Right? Otherwise, you don't really believe it's true. Right? If you don't know that cutting off your hand results in having no hand, right? then you could cut off your hand. But if you know that it means not having a hand, it forces you to think about it before you cut it. It forces you. It's because it's a fact. Right? Has the fact of God being God ever resonated in you to realize what that should mean? Has it, has it changed how I view God? What are the things that I've put up to sell in Jerusalem? What is in the way of my seeing? Is it that I'm obsessed with getting stuff? 
Is it that I like entertainments? Is it that I want to feel secure in the building where the people are? Is it political? Is it because I have hopes for a future kingdom, a prosperity gospel where if I'm good with God, I'm going to make lots of money and get into med school? Right? What is, what is it that I think about in my relationship with God? Because the things sold in the temple had buyers. The problem is not just the people who sold. The problem is also the people who bought. Right? Both had no acknowledgement of what was going on in the house of God. Have I reduced God to just be some philosophical idea that I use for mental entertainment, right? Instead of it believing it as a reality. Do I get mad at or condemn God like the Pharisees when he says how I'm behaving isn't right? Do I get, do I get upset that my lover, that my spouse has expectations of me? Right? How can you be in a relationship with anybody and not acknowledge that there's, a, that there's a two-way thing? There's an expectation of one for the others. Because it's these idols inside of us that we have within us that make us also so easily yell, crucify him. We all do. Every time we deny Christ, we are joining in saying crucify him. All of us. It's not just them. All these people shouted it. The apostles didn't do much better, right? As we'll see throughout the week. They hid. They may as well have said, crucify him. That they said, well, at the very least, we're not going to defend him. Right? One of his closest denies him. When we care for ourselves more than for the truth, the world goes wrong. Injustice happens because we don't care anymore. It wasn't enough for anyone that they knew he was innocent. They all knew he was innocent. And that wasn't enough for anyone. Right? It wasn't enough for anybody. Not even Pilate. Everyone cared more for themselves than they did for him. If they believed that he was who he said he was, if they really believed it, would that have been the case? Or do we also worship ourselves so much that even when we know who he is, we ignore it? Examine your lives and ask what things you have placed as more important than who the Lord is. Do you realize he created you? Do you realize he's your father? Imagine, imagine living a life, your whole life, somewhere, and just suddenly in your 20s discovering that who you thought your dad wasn't, you find out who your real father was. Just suddenly you find out. Wouldn't you want to find out who he is? Right? Wouldn't you want to know what happened? Wouldn't you want to know the story? Wouldn't you want to know how did we get separated? Why, do I, why am I just finding this out? It would change something. Just knowing who your father is would change everything. Have you thought about that, about our real father? Have you discovered that he's your father? Right? Have that, has that ever clicked for you? Because Jesus Christ is a real figure. He's not just a story. He's not just a story. Our Lord really came, He really died, and He really rose. He turned the world upside down, literally. And today, the world says all sorts of things about Him and all sorts of things about His followers, just like He asked His disciples. The Lord asks his followers the questions, 
Now it's your turn to answer. Who do you say that he is? I'm sorry, good guys don't randomly call themselves God. That's not a thing, right? None of us can just be like, yeah, I'm God, right? That's not a thing, right? He said that. He said, I am, right? He used the very name of God. Lots of crazy people have, but do crazy people heal the sick, create eyes for the blind, raise the dead, rise themselves? If he is God, what is your response to him? And what are you offering of him? Because the answer of who he is affects relationship, which is what we're talking about. And if you don't know who he is, you also won't understand him, right? You don't understand someone's behavior when you don't know someone, right? It's why in that last gospel that we read, when they say, how come we couldn't cast out devils? And he goes, because you don't believe me. It's that simple. It was like this immediate answer. Why can't you? Because you don't believe. If you knew and believed in who I am, it's so easy. You could literally tell a mountain, move, and it will move, as we also saw in recorded history. But you don't believe me, right? There's a power in your relationship when you know the other person, when you understand who the other person is. And it hurts most when the people closest to you don't know you, right? Can you answer who God is? If someone asks you, who is God? Who is Christ? Why do you say that he's God? Could you today, if someone asked you that, would you actually have an answer? Because if you don't, you still don't know him, right? Which is fine, but be aware of it, right? Of saying, I have so much to do to find out who he is. And when you know who someone is, it's so much easier for you to be loyal to that person, right? When I know someone well, right, if somebody comes and accuses that person of something and I know them well, without even knowing the story, I'll have a sense of whether it's true or not, right? If somebody were to come and tell me a story and be like, he was laughing so hard throughout the liturgy, I'd be like, sorry, who? I don't think so. That doesn't sound like a Bunabasanti, right? That he's very liturgical. That's not his style. Right? I know something about him. And so right away the accusation will strike me as strange. Right? I mean, this doesn't sound right. Do you know anything about God to have the same? Right? I remember doing something really bad in grade five. This is reverse. My dad wanted me to get an A plus in a certain subject, and I usually did when I got an A minus. So I was like, there's a very simple solution to this. They wrote it in ink. It says A minus. I just need to put one line. Right? And it becomes an A+. Plus. <laughs> and I showed it to my sister. And I was a very, still am a very bad liar. I didn't even use the same color ink. <laughs> so my sister looked at it. And she goes, did you change your report card? And I looked at her and I said, how could you say such a thing? How could you think of me in this way? And my sister, in her love for me, felt guilty. <laughs> and then my dad came home and goes, you changed your report card. I was like, yep. <laughs> right away. Right? But this is the reverse, right? Is that my, my sister, who felt that she knew me, even when I really messed up, 
doubted that I did, right? Because she didn't think that that was my character and I felt even worse, right? Because she was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm like, but I did it, right? But when you know someone, it changes how you see them, how you understand them, how you relate, how you communicate, what you, what you can see in them. And so today the question, the thing for you to pursue is, is ask, do you know God? Who do you say that I am? Do you know Him? Right? People get annoyed when they say, well, what should I do? And they say, read the Bible. But the, reading the Bible matters. These stories that we're talking about right now, we're finding it about Him. Where are they from? They're from the Bible. Right? When you read the Bible, ask the question, I until this day haven't stopped. Every time I read the Bible, I always start after praying, saying, Lord, I want to know who are you? Who are you? Right? As you're reading, ask, what does this tell me about him? What was he like in the situation? Right? Learn about who he is through his saints, through other people's experiences, saying, how did these people who apparently had a good relationship with him, how, what did they find out about him? Right? What was it that is? That's why we read the lives of the saints. Right? Holy people, right, that are living and among us. Right? Ask them. Right? Ask them questions. Right? What is it that you know about God and why do you love him? Right? That sounds like a weird question. It shouldn't be. Right? But what is it that makes you love God? Right? The titas, the giddos, the uncles, the tans, the kids. Ask, learn, disciple. Right? From the people around you. What do you know, God? What did you discover about God that makes you love Him so much? Why are you here? Why do you come to church? What is it that you love about God? You can see it. You'll learn about Him through prayer. You'll learn about Him through nature. You'll learn about Him through science. God is manifest in everything that He created, and He created everything. Pursue knowledge of Him so that you know who He is. As you travel this road with Him for the rest of the week, and we see the ways that people react to Him, all these different reactions. Ask yourself if you are doing those very things that they're doing. Ask if you would walk with him or against him if you're alive in those days and how you might be doing the same today, all of us, not just you. Ask, ask yourself, I ask myself, how do I profess, Lord, who you are? Turn on the light, right? The light that's in the heart. Seek the light, walk by light, and you will be clothed with light and nothing will harm you, not even death, because Christ, our true light, will conquer the darkness and give life to those who, of us who are dead. To him be glory, now and always, and to the age of all ages. Amen.